these brief moments tonight that we might hear your voice, that we might by the end of the day be able to sing this song for the Sabbath, that we might love indeed your holy Sabbath. We might be able like Isaiah to call it a delight to recognize it as what it is that you've given. You've given us a, a wonderful day a day that tastes like heaven, a day apart from worldly concerns, a day apart from worldly vocations, a day away from worldly pleasures. And so may we leave this place tonight singing this wonderful song to your glory and as a testimony of our faith. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We don't have a historical context for this one uh, outside of the fact that it's, it's, a, it's a song that they sang on the Sabbath uh, and it was written for that purpose, for the recognition of uh, the Lord's Day under the Old Covenant and for us today, the Christian Sabbath, uh, the transition being with the resurrection of the Lord, which was foretold in those many of those uh, ceremonial feast, those eight days become very important as you read through the, the feast days and, uh, and find their ultimate fulfillment in the, in, the, in the Christian Sabbath, the first day of the week, which would be the eighth day when you start counting and count around to eight. And uh, I remember Ben Shaw, my good friend at Greenville, helping me to see those uh, for really clearly for the first time a few years ago. Three points in this passage that I want us to see. I would recommend some books for you. Walt Chantry, and I, I've loaned it and it's not on my shelf, but, uh, so I can't have show and tell, but uh, Call the Sabbath a Delight. It's a wonderful little Banner of Truth publication that's been in print now for about 25, 30 years. And uh, it's a marvelous little book um, uh, developing the whole issue of the Christian Sabbath. My good friend and colleague at the seminary, The Lord's Day, Joseph Piper, is a very practical little book uh, on not only the theology, but the application of the Lord's Day practice in the history of the church and, and from a biblical perspective. And then this is one that is uh, uh, rather recent, just in the past... Uh, past few years, Ian D. Campbell uh, happens to be, Brad's not here tonight, uh, Brad Isbell, uh, uh, this is one of Brad's favorite preachers to listen to. He goes online and listens to uh, Pastor Campbell from Scotland on a regular basis. On the first day of the week, God, the Christian, and the Sabbath. Uh, this is a day one publication it's a, it's a very fine exegetical treatment from uh, the New Testament on uh, the importance of, of the fourth commandment uh, for the Christian today. Now, if, if you all remember a few years ago when I preached through Mark, we got to the end of chapter 2, beginning of chapter 3, where the Lord has to address the issue of the Sabbath day. And He defends the two Old Testament points, and that is that the Sabbath is a day for rest and worship, but it's also a day for works of mercy and necessity. 
And uh, I said then as I began that, that th these can be hard passages for, for 21st century Christians, particularly in the Western world, we're so secularized, uh, to read because we have largely lost, even in the Reformed community, we have lar largely capitulated upon and lost the concept of the Sabbath. And so people are like, really? The Sabbath day? I mean, it's strange to ears. You hardly hear Christians talking about the Sabbath or relating to the Sabbath, looking forward to the Sabbath. But that's a rather new happening. I mean, people were still being disciplined in churches in the United States at the turn of the 19th to 20th century over failure to observe the Sabbath properly. And we sit here and we're like, wow, really? Yeah. And there may even be some today in churches that still take the Sabbath day holy. Um, we do at a level, don't we? I mean, if someone neglects the worship of the Lord, the attendance to the Sabbath, that's what we're talking about. For a period of time, the elders will contact them. Hopefully the period of time is not very long at all. And if they continue to neglect, then that could lead to church discipline. In fact, that's happened during the time of my pastorate here, where the session has had to take that kind of action toward members who were not keeping their vows to support the worship and work of the church to the best of their ability. That means the attending to the Sabbath day and keeping it holy. This passage uh, is labeled for us so we understand that it, it relates to the Sabbath. So we need to consider it in the context of the Sabbath. Commentators do, that is the scholars. Now I realize we live in an age and day where most of us sit around thinking we know more than everyone else. But just for a little while, pretend like the scholars actually know more than we do. And uh, that they actually got this right by considering Psalm 92 as pertaining to the Lord's Day, the Sabbath, uh, which is historically how it's been understood by, by Bible scholars and theologians. So I want us to see three points. Breaks out real neatly, actually, in the Hebrew uh, and in the English uh, pretty well as also. First, there's a call to tireless worship. A call to tireless worship. Notice it's good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. The stress here, that's a Hebraism. Your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, that's, that's, that's to say during the whole day. Now remember, we're concentrating on the Sabbath. We're not talking Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Here, of course, in the Old Covenant context, you're talking the, the, the seventh day. Now, let's take that and apply it as it should be applied to the New Covenant Christian. And you're talking about the first day, of course, the Resurrection Day. Right? Say right. Just nod. Just so I know you're not asleep or that you're not totally indifferent to God's holy and errant word. Right? I mean, yes. Now, we're looking at the new covenant. We're looking at 
something that's better. We get more in the new covenant. We get more Sabbath too. So, it's good to give thanks through the whole day. Declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. Now this is back to the feast and the, the Sabbath, the various Sabbaths. There were more than just one. There was the one, the seventh day Sabbath, the keep this day holy Sabbath. But then there were a number of others. There was the seven year Sabbath. There was the, there was the 50 year Sabbath. There were multiple Sabbaths. And that's what confuses people sometimes when Paul tells the Colossians, we're no longer bound by those. He's not talking about the fourth commandment. That's moral. We're always bound by the moral law of God. You can't get away from God being holy, holy, holy. And part of His holiness is expressed in the Sabbath day. But Paul's telling them, no, no longer those feast Sabbaths. Those were fulfilled with Christ. You go back there and you read that they had morning feast and they had evening feast in the context of the holy days. And so this is in keeping with that. And so we structure our Lord's Day accordingly, morning and evening. And so there's this wonderful thanksgiving taking place, this praise taking place all through the day. And you say, but, but how do you worship all day long? Well, remember, uh, it's, it's not just worship. There's also rest involved. For instance, uh, the Old Testament's referred to as a day of rest. Listen to our confession of faith that so, so beautifully and fully and exegetically sets it forth. This Sabbath day is to be kept holy unto the Lord when men after a due preparing of the hearts and ordering of their common affairs beforehand, do not only observe and holy rest all the day from their own works, words, and thoughts about their worldly employments and recreations, but also are taken up the whole time in public and private exercises of His worship and in the duties of necessity and mercy. So it's a day not only of rest, but also of worship. So when, when the pious one throws it up in your face, well, how can you worship all day long? The answer is, you don't. Not in public worship, and not even in private worship. Our Westminster document understood the Old Testament and New Testament very well. It's also a day of rest. So you don't need to feel guilty for taking a little nap in the afternoon. Your body needs that rest. Six days you shall labor, but the seventh, the Sabbath, is a day of rest. You lose a lot, folks, when you don't keep the Sabbath rightly. You lose the rest that your body needs. It's been amazing to me. Secular states enforcing a Sabbath day in the world today. Did you know that? Why? Because they've realized people run out of gas. And when they do, they're not nearly as productive. And so they do it on a purely secular basis, but they recognize the principle. God gave it to us for our good. Not to keep anything good from us, 
I hear people talking about, no, if I kept the Sabbath the way the the way our Reformed brethren did, and that includes Calvin, by the way. Richard Gaffin's excellent little book, Calvin and the Sabbath, uh, historically and exegetically disproves a lot of those myths that people use about Calvin. Uh, wonderful little book. And, uh, and so, you know, we don't lose, we gain when we keep the Sabbath holy the way the scriptures tell us, not turning our foot to the left or to the right to do our own pleasure as Isaiah instructs us so well. A day of tireless worship, a call to tireless worship. It's both a good thing, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, but it's also the right thing to do. Now, any of y'all who sat with me when we've been talking about making decisions, I had a friend recently, I'll use this for an example because it's outside of this room, outside of this church membership. A friend recently uh, was through the area, called, wanted to see me. We were talking and he, he was like a lot of us from time to time. He was rather tired of Presbyterian failures. And he thought he had been to his last Presbyterian meeting. He just didn't see any reason to go to another one. And anyone who's ever been to one can say amen. And after we talked a while, he asked me, so what do you think? What should I do? I said, well, you should do the right thing. He said, well, what's the right thing? I said, the right thing is to go. I said, you took vows to submit to the brethren. You took vows to uphold the doctrine of this church. And one of the ways we do that is by being faithful in presbytery meetings, in general assembly committees, so that we can speak the truth in love. You, you will lose your voice, therefore you're not able to keep your vows if you're not there. Do the right thing. So he got up and he said, well, I didn't want to hear that. I said, no, we don't often like to hear, do the right thing. But it's the right thing. Listen to what God says. Speaking the fourth word to us, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now remember, he, he doesn't say, hey, I'm making something new here. Remember the Sabbath day. He's calling his people in the 20th chapter of Exodus to remember something that was already going on. Since when? Since creation. When? Before the fall or after the fall? Before the fall. Keeping of the Sabbath is a creation ordinance. Not a positive law that God gave just to, just to get the people through a tough time. It's a creation ordinance like marriage like the family, like salvation by grace through faith. It's one of those things that you never get away from. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but in the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Lord blessed it. It's the right thing for us to do. Listen to what Derek Thomas says more generally about it. He says the point about the Sabbath and the Sabbath in the New Covenant, Derek Thomas, pastor of First Presbyterian Church, Columbia, South Carolina, uh, has taught many years as uh, the systematic theologian at Reformed Theological Seminary, Jackson and Atlanta now. Derek wrote this recently. The point is that our time belongs to Jesus. I mean, he's rather in your face about this. The day is Jesus's, not yours. This is the Lord's day. The point is that our time belongs to Jesus, not to ourselves. We are stewards of the time God gives us, and He asks for a day that is set apart for Him, punctuated by the rhythm of public worship. Satan wants every minute of our time. Listen to me, folks. Satan steals a lot of time from God's people. Satan wants... Satan wants every minute of our time and secular society squeezes every last minute of our energy for little lasting reward. Make no mistake about it. A world without a Sabbath is, a tyrannical, and un, is tyrannical and unforgiving. It has no gospel. I would say, go to the mall on Sunday and walk around and find the gospel for me. And see if it's not, like Derek Thomas says, tyrannical and unforgiving. But of course, I'm not going to encourage you to do that. Because that would be supporting something that makes people work on the Sabbath. That's not a work of, listen to me carefully, not a work of mercy or necessity. It's not necessary that somebody sell you a piece of jewelry on Sunday. Right? It's necessary that Tim Hall do a heart cath on Sunday for an emergency case. That's a work of necessity. It's also one of those that doubles up as a work of necessity and mercy. We could go on and on with the illustrations of what's, what's an appropriate work for the Sabbath. So, the day we're called to tireless worship, rest and worship in private and in public. Second, he says, How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass... And all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. So 5 through 11 tells us that, that we are to have... Thoughtful worship and thoughtful day. 
The song of the Sabbath is one that calls us to be thoughtful, to reflect upon issues of this world, not worldly issues, but notice, issues of this world. And the, 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 the specific issue is God's great works, His great thoughts. There, of course, is Paul's pulling on that verse in chapter 11 that we read earlier of Romans. And then we reflect on these, these stupid men, these fools that cannot understand. Why can they not understand? Because they're God's enemies. Because they're, they're knee-deep, as we say, in sin. But then he contrasts as he thinks through this. Notice the contrast in verse 10, but you have exalted my horn like that of wild ox, my horn, my power, uh, my station, my place. You've exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You've poured over me fresh oil, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. See the contrast? Anointing established by the Lord contrasted to the stupid and the foolish who go their own wicked ways. God doesn't establish them. He lets them do what they want. They want to sin, they get to go sin. And their end is destruction. And, and in reflecting upon this, thoughtfully, the psalmist says, my eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. I, I, my ears have even heard the doom of my evil assailants. So here, verses 1 through 4, a call to tireless worship. Why? Well, we're told why in verse 4. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. See, the Lord's day is not an onerous thing. It's not a hard thing. It's a glad thing. You've made me glad by your works. At the work of your hands I sing for joy. But not only a call to tireless worship out of our gladness, but also a call to thoughtful worship. Do you ever just sit in the context of, of a worship service morning or evening? Perhaps this morning as you were pondering the wonderful work of Christ, the incarnation, His perfect obedience, His death in the, on the cross, pondering those things and just sit there and, and maybe the hymn uh, maybe the hymn came to your mind. How sweet and awesome is the place. And that line in the hymn, why was I chosen? Why, why did God choose me? Out of all the filthy sinners in this world. Why? Well, what's the answer? His own good pleasure. Deuteronomy 7, 7, just simply because he loved us. Why not some of these other stupid, foolish people that the psalmist points out? Those are the secret things of the Lord. Those are those deep thoughts beyond man figuring out. We should have those kind of thoughts in the midst of worship of our great God. We should have those moments when we're stumped 
in the middle of worship and we just, why me? Why am I the one sitting here enjoying God's word, enjoying getting to sing the praises of the Lord when countless numbers are out there caring nothing for God? And so would I, but for the grace of God, be out there, literally on the highway to hell. I don't go say I quoted ACDC. If you don't know what that means, that's wonderful. And I'm almost embarrassed to admit that I did. But they are, aren't they? And you and I are here for one, by, by one reason only, and that's the grace of God. Last thing. A call to tireless worship, a call to thoughtful worship, a call to theocentric worship. I had to think about that one a little bit. I don't think I forced it at all. Notice what it says in verse 12. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. How is that? How is it that we've become established? How is it we've, be we've, we've been able to flourish? How is it that we grow? Well, he goes on. They're planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. You see the theocentrism here? The God-centeredness here? Yes, it starts out, the psalmist starts out talking about us, the righteous. The righteous flourish like palm trees. But notice quickly, the attention's taken off the righteous, off the cedar in Lebanon, and put squarely on the Lord. They are planted. Trees don't plant themselves, folks. They are planted. This is external action taking place here. They are planted. And where are they planted? They're planted in the house of the Lord. They're planted in the courts of our God. Why? Because that's where you grow. You grow in the house of the Lord. You grow in the courts of God. Who is it that grows you? The one who plants you. Our God plants us. He gives us the food we need, the vigoro, the plant food, His Word, that we might be sanctified. Sanctify us. Lord should be our prayer. The Lord Jesus prayed that for us. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. He's the one. He's the one acting here. It, it, he illustrates it uh, again. They, reference to the righteous, but he's used the palm tree and the cedar analogy. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. That's unnatural. As something gets old, grows old, it begins to lose its productivity and its reproductivity. But not so with the righteous. 
Listen. Let's see here. David Dixon, our, our Scottish forefather. True believers shall still persevere. They shall still persevere. And the decay of the outward man shall not hinder the renewing of their inward man day by day. And their last works shall be better than their first works. They shall persevere. And the decaying outside, the exterior, won't keep them from growing on the interior. That's what Dixon's saying. And that's what the psalmist is saying. They still bear fruit in old age. They're ever full of sap and green. So you see that God's right in the center. He's the, he's the center of our, our affection. He's the center of attention in our worship because of what He's done. He planted us here. Every Lord's Day morning, every Lord's Day evening, when we come into this place and we worship our God, we should sit mindful that He's the one who put us here. Your elder, Kurt Smith, this morning began the service by saying, you're here by divine appointment. You're not here by luck. You're not here by chance. You're here by divine appointment. God put you here so that you might grow. So that the sap might rise, that you might bear fruit. And notice how it's exhibited. Verse 15. And this is another, that, another point that reminds us that this is about worship being God-centered. What's our declaration? What is it we say? What is it we declare? What's our fruit? Our fruit is this, to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in Him. That's how the psalmist ends the psalm. Focused on God, focused on the Lord, focused on Jehovah, focused on the covenant faithful one. So, a song for the Sabbath to remind us of, of the tirelessness of worship from morning to night, to remind us of the thoughtfulness of worship. This is not a mindless enterprise going on here. You're not supposed to come in here and be mindless and just have your emotions tweaked. You're supposed to come in here fully engaged, as our confession said, with due preparation so that you can be fully engaged, your mind can be in gear when you come in. Because from the mind, the re renewing of the mind flows everything that you need. That's the reason Paul said that we're to have our minds renewed. That's the reason Paul said we're to have the mind of Christ, not the emotions of Christ, and that doesn't mean Christ didn't have emotions, not the will of Christ, that doesn't mean he didn't have a human will, but we're to have the mind of Christ because that's where it begins. As your mind is, is convinced, as your mind is turned, so your emotions and your will will go the right way. You'll feel the right things when your mind is rightly informed. And then the theocentric call for God to be the one in our focus and not ourselves.
Listen, Ian Campbell summarizes this passage very well in this book, chapter 8. He says, Worship was the dominant theme of the Old Testament Sabbath observance. The day was to be sanctified, given to God, lived in a remarkable way in His presence and before His face. The New Testament Sabbath, the Lord's Day, was the day of worship in the early church, and the activity of worship further connects the Sabbath here with the heaven that is to come. One of the Old Testament Psalms is given the heading, A Song for the Sabbath. It says that it's good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. Psalm 92.1. It goes on to talk about God's work being the source of our joy. It contrasts the eternality of God with the temporality of man. It rejoices in a personal knowledge of God's work in human life. And it concludes with a beautiful image of God's people planted like the cedars of Lebanon in God's house, bearing fruit and demonstrating the faithfulness of God. These are the themes of the worship of God's people still and will be their song throughout the ages of eternity. This is, this is our worship. It was the worship of the old covenant saints. It's the worship of the new covenant saints. And as E.N.D. Campbell says, it'll be the worship of saints throughout eternity. Tireless, thoughtful, God-centered. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving this, this, us this day. Help us call the Sabbath day a delight. Help us to, to revel in it. Help us to enjoy it fully. Help us not to lose a thing by following the worldly inclinations of so many. Father, we love you. And we pray now that you would, would receive our thanks for this day that we've had to enjoy you in our, in our total being as we anticipate heaven, the new heavens, and the new earth. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've asked Ethan if he'll play Saw You Never in the Twilight through once. It's not a hard tune, but it's one we don't sing regularly, so it might be one you need to be called to remember. So if you'll turn there, 228.